Section 38 of Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies, an Authentic Record of Remarkable Cases, by John B. Lewis and Charles C. Bombow. Homicide, Part 15. The Gossetterzook Tragedy, Part 14. Edwin Patchell. I reside in Jennerville. I know the prisoner at the bar. He came to my place in the morning on the first day of July last to hire a horse. My place is about fifty feet from the hotel. I looked at him as he came up to my place, and I knew him. I said, Hello, Billy. You are a stranger in this country. He replied, I was sent from the hotel to hire a horse from you to go to Penningtonville, or this side of there, to Samuel Rhodes's place. He said he would give me two dollars for the horse to go there. I told him he could have it. Then he asked for a carriage. I told him I had none. He said he had a friend at the hotel that he wanted to take to see Samuel Rhodes. Then he asked for saddle and bridle, and I loaned him my mare. He returned my mare about five o'clock that afternoon and had a horse and buggy with him. I knew the horse. It belonged to Albert Baldwin, who lives in Penningtonville. And half an hour later, I saw him driving up the road past my place, going towards Cochranesville. Annie Rhodes. I am the wife of Samuel Rhodes and sister of William E. Utterzook, the prisoner at the bar. I reside about a quarter of a mile south of Penningtonville, on the Turnpike Road. My house is near the road, and the barn a little distance from the house. My brother, William E. Utterzook, came to see me on the first day of July last, at about noon. Here the witness was completely overcome with emotion, and for several moments was deeply affected. Utterzook's mother, who was sitting immediately behind the witness, buried her face in her handkerchief, and wept bitterly. Utterzook bowed his head for a moment, but quickly recovered his calmness. When the witness had become more composed, the examination proceeded. He, Utterzook, asked if Mr. Rhodes was at home. I told him he was at Mr. Zachariah Baldwin's, about a mile distant from our house. He said he had come to see Mr. Rhodes. I told him we would first have dinner and then go over to Mr. Baldwin's. He came there on horseback, and he put up the horse in our stable. He took dinner with me, and then we started over to see Mr. Rhodes. We conversed by the way. He said he had been to Philadelphia. He said he had not seen my mother or my sister. We found Mr. Rhodes out in the hayfield at Mr. Baldwin's. He was out towards the middle of the field. We went through a piece of woods to get to the field, and when we came in sight, he told me to stay there in the shade while he went and brought Mr. Rhodes up to where we were. He went to Mr. Rhodes, and then I followed after him, and then we all came back to the shade. They walked along together and were talking, and I walked a little way distant from them. They appeared to be talking quietly, as if they did not want me to hear." I did not hear any of their conversation. They were talking some twenty minutes or more. Then Mr. Rhodes went back to the field, and he, Utterzook, and I came away and walked on to Penningtonville. He said he was going to Penningtonville for a horse and carriage. 
I went to a store, and he went to a livery stable. He came round and called at the store for me, with a bay horse and top buggy. I got in, and he drove over to my house. I noticed a lap blanket in the buggy. I wanted him to stay to supper, but he did not. He took his other horse from the stable and tied him to the horse harnessed to the buggy. He tied him with a strap to the bridle. It was a hitching strap which he took from our stable for the purpose. Then he got into the buggy. I asked him if he would come back in the morning. He said, no, this evening. He told me he had a friend with him at Jennerville who was in delicate health and that he thought a few days in the country would do him good. Then he asked me if it would inconvenience us to have his friend at our house. I told him it would not. He started and drove a short distance, and then stopped and changed the saddle horse, tying it behind the buggy. I went up to him and said the horse would not lead that way, and advised him to turn it loose, and he did so. I did not see him again until I saw him here in the courtroom. I waited that evening and heard several carriages. He did not fix any time when he would come back. Mr. Rhodes and I waited up till half-past eleven, at which time we heard a carriage drive past the house. By the sound it was going rapidly. Samuel W. Rhodes I am the husband of Mrs. Rhodes, who has just testified. On the first day of July last, between one and two o'clock in the afternoon, Mr. Utterzook came with my wife to a hayfield where I was then at work. I was probably about fifty yards from the edge of the woods. He, Utterzook, came to where I was, and after he had said something about its being very warm, he said he had written me a letter. As soon as I saw him, I thought of that letter which he had written me. It was a suspicious letter, one that surprised me when I received it. I said to him I had written him in reply to know what he meant and had received no answer from him. He said, No, I could not write any more. It had to be by word of mouth. However, he says, It is just as good now and better if anything. It is a sure thing for a thousand dollars apiece for us. Then he said it was warm and we walked up to the shade. I asked him what it was. He says, well, have you got a horse? I said, yes. He asked, have you a wagon that will hold three persons? I said I could get one, and asked him when we would get the money. He said we would get five hundred apiece right away, and there was more money we would get afterwards. He would guarantee me a thousand dollars. I asked where we would get it. He said, right here in Jennerville. I have towed it right here to Jennerville. He said it was a man who had been drinking, and who was spending his money for no good. He said he had had the poker about three times since he had been with him, that the man had about a thousand dollars with him, of that he was pretty certain. He wanted me to harness my horse and go with him at once to Jennerville, and get this man, and take him into the woods, and give him a little laudanum, and get him to sleep, and then take his money." I said to him that I could not do that. I told him, if he commenced, that he would ruin himself and his whole family. He said there was not a bit of danger. He had had this man in New York, or Newark, I can't say certain which, and in Philadelphia, and, he says, 
I would not go to all that trouble unless I knew what I was doing. I told him that nobody knew what they were doing when they commenced that kind of business, that he would have to give up the idea. He said, I will not go home till I get it. He said that he would do all the stealing. He spoke as though he wanted me to hide the money. He said that he had been to a great deal of trouble and expense, and that he would do it himself and bury the money. I told him not to do so. I said to him, I must go to my work, and asked him to stay a day or two, and I would talk with him in the evening and again in the morning. He said the man would not stay in Jennerville by himself. If he, Utterzook, stayed, he would have to bring the man to my place. He asked if he might do so, and I said yes. He then asked me for a horse and buggy to bring him with. I told him I could not give him my horse, as it was at Napoleon Warner's. I told him there was a livery stable in Penningtonville, where I thought he could get a team. He said the man was very sick, and he thought he would die last night, or the other night. He said that he had been up with him, dosing him with whiskey. He said that he believed the man would die, and asked, How would it be with you and Annie, that is my wife, if he should happen to die at your house? Would you allow me to put him away and say nothing about it? No, I said, if a stranger was to die at my place, there would have to be a coroner's inquest held. He said there was nobody to look after this man, that he had been lost for a long time, and everybody thought he was dead. He had no friends to look after him, nor who cared for him. I said to him, it made no difference. If a stranger should die there, there would have to be an inquest. He dropped his head down, and his cheek appeared to be getting red. He said it might lead to some suspicion. I told him I could not help that, I could not have anything of that kind. He said, Well, what then? I told him I would say nothing more until I saw the man. He left me then, going in the direction of Penningtonville. I did not see him again until I saw him here. I own the leather hitching strap, which I found at Mr. Baldwin's livery stable a few days after Utterzook had taken it from my stable. A leather strap handed to and identified by witness as his hitching strap. I know William E. Utterzook's handwriting. Letter handed to witness, dated on the envelope, December 16th, and postmarked Baltimore. No date to the letter itself. I received that letter between the 16th and 20th of December, 1872. It is the letter I spoke of in my testimony. The following is the letter referred to. Friend Sam, I have something of much interest that I wish to communicate with you. It must be done by word of mouth. Please don't let any one know of our communications, but as soon as you read this, Mount your horse and come to Oxford, take the morning train to Baltimore, when you arrive in Baltimore inquire for Mr. Duker and brother planing and sawmill. This mill is right across the street from where you get out of the cars. I am employed in said mill, and am there every day. You will arrive at one o'clock, you must take the next train for Oxford, which is at half-past two, that will give us one hour and a half, which will be sufficient, for us to arrange one of the finest planes that you ever heard of. There is a cool one thousand dollars in it, and there is nothing to prevent us from getting it, this is without a doubt. 
do not buy your ticket at Oxford, but pay for your fare on the cars. Do not let a soul know where you go. I cannot explain further till I see you. Do not fail to come, drop everything at once. You can make the trip in a few hours. I have no person else in confidence with me, and now propose to take you. You will find that it is the best day's work that you ever did. I will give you the full explanation when I see you. Bring this letter with you. Your expenses will be only four dollars or a little less. Very respect yours, William E. Utterzook. Be firm, be true. Footnote. This letter is written on a commercial note sheet and is signed on the third page. On the fourth page, near the bottom, evidently written after the letter was folded, are the words, If you decline to come, write me a line to number 167 Conway Street, Baltimore, Maryland. End footnote. The cross-examination of Rhodes was conducted at great length without eliciting any important fact other than an admission that he had suspected Utterzook might be plotting against him, but his suspicions took no definite form. The whole of Rhodes's direct testimony was rigidly cross-questioned, without shaking it in the least degree. He was then asked by the Commonwealth's attorney if he ever showed the letter which he received from Utterzook to any person. Prisoner's counsel objected. Objection overruled, and exception observed by the defense. Witness answered that he showed it the same day that he received it to Mrs. Annie E. Skelton, who was at the time keeping house for him. Also, on the same day, he showed it to Gaynor P. Moore and to Mrs. Elizabeth Utterzook, a widow of the brother of William E. Utterzook. He showed his answer to the letter to Mrs. Skelton. Witness was asked if he told his conversation with Utterzook, which he held with him in the hayfield, to any person. Prisoner's counsel asked the court if he thought this admissible against the prisoner. The court said it was admissible to show whether or not, if there was a scheme, the witness was a party to it. That if the witness was a party to the crime, his testimony should be received with great caution, and should not be relied upon except in so far as it is corroborated by other circumstances. If he is not to be treated as a party, then he stands as any other witness. Witness then said that he told the conversation, first to Albert Baldwin on the second day of July, and to Zechariah Baldwin on the morning of the third of July, when he returned to his work, that he worked all that day and in the evening of the same day. After going home, he told it to Gaynor P. Moore. He also spoke of it to several other persons whose names he mentioned. The court then asked, when was the first time the witness heard of the man's body being found? Witness answered, The first time I heard of the body being found was at about five o'clock in the afternoon of Friday, the eleventh day of July. I went to the woods with Gaynor Moore to the place where the body lay, and on putting a shovel down by its side, I came to and dug up a bloody, dirty shirt. I placed a shovel under the head and raised it up. Just then we heard a buggy passing on the pike road, and we went out to it. We got into the wagon and went back to Gaynor Moore's house, and I left Gaynor there. Annie Skelton identified the Utterzook letter as the one Rhodes showed her on the day he received it by mail. 
She also testified to having read an answer to it, written by Rhodes. Mrs. Elizabeth Utterzook, widow of the brother of William E. Utterzook, testified that Rhodes showed her the letter the latter part of April. Gaynor P. Moore testified that Rhodes showed him the letter in the early part of last winter. He also testified to having been told by Rhodes about the conversation between Utterzook and Rhodes, which took place in Baldwin's hayfield. The witness was told of this conversation on the evening of July 3rd. Albert Baldwin, keeper of the livery stable at Penningtonville, testified that Rhodes told him of the conversation on Wednesday evening, July 2nd. Zechariah Baldwin testified that he saw the prisoner in his hayfield on the first day of July and saw him with Rhodes. On the morning of the third day of July, Rhodes told witness of the conversation. Samuel Slocum testified that on the 6th of July, Rhodes told him of the conversation and also showed him the letter from Utterzook. Albert Baldwin recalled. I saw the prisoner at my livery stable on the first day of July, 1873. He hired a team of me to go to Cochranesville. He was to be back between six and seven o'clock. I furnished him two blankets. One was a light summer horse cover, and the other was a linen lap cover. He paid me two dollars for the team, and then got in and drove off. I retired to bed about nine o'clock that night. Utterzook had not returned when I went to bed. Gassaway Peters. I was employed at the livery stable of Mr. Baldwin in Penningtonville last July. I saw the prisoner on the first day of July last. I met him on the road between Gilfillan's tan yard and Bear's Woods. He was driving a horse of Mr. Baldwin's harnessed to a buggy. There was a horse with saddle and bridle on ahead of him. I next saw him that night when he returned the horse and buggy to the stable. It was then twenty minutes to twelve o'clock. I unlocked the stable and led the horse in and unharnessed him in there. Utterzook stood by me and I said to him, you did not get in as soon as you expected. He said, when a man gets out among the women, he does not know when he will get in. I noticed the wagon was broken and asked him how he did it, and he said he did not know how it got broken. The dasher was broken at the handhold, and the iron frame bent over towards the horse. Two of the hind bows in the buggy top were broken, and two rivets were broken from the bows at the ends where the bows are fastened to the seat, so that the bows were swinging loose. This was on the left-hand side. I asked him to pay for overtime, and he said he would see Baldwin in the morning. He went away, and I locked the stable and went to bed. The next morning I was examining the wagon, and I found a finger ring and a collar button lying between the cushions near the front edge on the seat. They lay between the creases of the cushions and were in sight. The ring heretofore introduced in evidence was shown to and identified by the witness as the one he found in the buggy. I gave the ring to Mr. Baldwin that morning. The collar button heretofore introduced in evidence was shown to and identified by witness. I kept the collar button until I gave it to the coroner's jury. End of section 38